Man, what a great day to be here. Hey, I'm glad that you're here, family. I am so excited to be here. My name is Scott. If I had had a chance to meet you, and I'm glad that you could be here. And, and we're not just by ourselves here. We're a church, uh, like, like Peyton said, we meet in multiple locations in, in many different ways. So, hey, if you're watching online with us right now, we want to greet you because we know that not only um, do the holidays cause us to be in different places, sometimes we do church in different places. So maybe uh, you're watching online. Maybe you're joining us um, out on a road trip. We're just glad that you're here. I have some friends that texted me uh, this morning and said, hey, we're on a road trip, but we're watching. And so, hey, wherever you are, thank you for joining us anywhere in the world. So, hey, we're, we're having a conversation about finding Christmas. And, and obviously, that's kind of what the Grinch is looking for. And we know that story. We're kind of tapping into that storyline as well. Just what does it mean to find the true meaning of Christmas? Um, if you were here last week, um, you would remember that we started this conversation about, well, how, how do we find Christmas? How do we, like, is there a certain way? And so um, if, you, if you were here for that, you would remember, maybe you had a chance to watch online or watch the playback. Um, Josh talked about the necessity, if we're going to find Christmas and the real meaning of Christmas, sometimes you just got to slow down, right? Uh, and and I hope, hopefully you took a chance this week to just... Pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe you set aside some time. Uh, we, we talked about slowing down so we could see more. And hopefully you created some time in your schedule. Hopefully you slowed down and you carved out some time in all of the business to see more what God's doing in your heart, in your life, in your family, in your classroom, in your circle of influence, wherever you may find yourself. We're going to continue that conversation about kind of slowing down a little bit. And finding, you know, what is it we're really looking for? And we know that we've got friends that are looking for something. And I want to remind you, and you'll hear this reminder later on in the service, to remind yourself to don't just show up at church by yourself. Right now in the Christmas holiday season, people are more susceptible to want to, they might be more responsive to your invite. So if you've been inviting someone to church and you're going, man, I don't think they're coming, just know this is the season where they may be more apt to, to accept your invitation because people are looking for something and we want to help them find it. And today we want to talk about one particular aspect of finding meaning and finding value. Um, we're going to talk about traditions. I'm just curious, how many of you have a Christmas tradition at your house, in your family, um, in, in your maybe, even in your class? I had a school teacher tell me like, oh, I have a, we have a thing we do in my classroom. And it's like my little way to try to help put a little bit of Christmas in the classroom. I'm like, you go, girl. And like, she's like, you can find a way to interject some meaning or some uh, some value, and, and so I know in my house we have traditions, we have things. How many of you have like that, that food that is your tradition? Like it's not Christmas unless you eat something, right? For I, 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 I gauge the holidays by the food. Like you could blindfold me, I'd tell you what holiday it is, right? Now I could tell, oh, this is, this is Thanksgiving right here, that's Christmas. Um, this is definitely New Year's collards. Like if you're with me, you know what I mean. So like we have things that add value. They're, they're, they're like, it just wouldn't be Christmas without that. I, I encourage you to think through that for a second. What is that one thing that if you did not do, you go, ah, oh, man, it just didn't feel like Christmas. Uh, and, and sometimes traditions attach us to some, the things in the past and people um, in the past, and it helps us to remember, um, especially family members have gone before us, and it kind of helps us to go like, man, we, we live in such a rich tradition of a family. So I want you to think about that. I asked 
our staff this question. A, a while ago, we were planning for this moment. And so I asked our staff, you know, what are some things you do? Because our staff comes, uh, some of them come from outside of the area, so we learn a lot. Um, we learned this, I, I want to say two years ago, a year ago, uh, that our lead pastor, Josh Finkley, hides a pickle in the Christmas tree. So if you're new here and you don't know why he hides a pickle in the Christmas tree, I invite you to ask him about that. It'll be a good conversation. Uh, McKenna, who is, uh, was leading worship here um, on this stage uh, a bit ago, she said that her family, the Chance family, w- when she first said it, I thought she said ugly sweater, because that, like, that's the thing around our house too, right? Which I used to say that, and my mom was like, why are you wearing my sweater? <laughs> like, you know? So she said, oh, it's not ugly sweater, it's ugly angel. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. So they had this angel that goes on top of the Christmas tree that by her account is ugly. I don't know if her mom knows that. Uh, but it is an ugly angel, and they take turns cutting out someone's face and putting it on an angel. Uh, so you come in, you don't know whose face is going to be on it, which I think that's pretty cool and something to look forward to. Um, I, I know I can just speak for me, and, and I didn't know that I was in such good company until the last service. Because my family, we just shoot stuff and blow stuff up. And like, I, I look around and I'm like, yeah, like the second service, they're like, that's us too. So like, we just shoot a lot of stuff, blow stuff up, and that's kind of our tradition around the holidays. Uh, so I don't know what you do for your family, uh, but traditions can be incredible. Um, they really can be born out of some great tradition, historical ideas, and add so much value to the holidays. But if we're being honest... Traditions and all the things that we do can be a little bit stressful. How many of you remember that first time? For married people in the room. Right, if you're watching online and you're married, how, you remember that first time you had to have a conversation about where we're going to spend Christmas this year? And you're like, well, do we go there to your family? Or do we go to here to this family? And how are we going to be at two? I see y'all looking. Don't, don't look at him during the church service. Just after the church service. Like, like you got to figure. And some of us are still trying to figure that out, right? And if you haven't figured it out, you know that because how stressful you feel around the holidays. Trying to get to all the things and all the people and you're trying to keep grandma happy and uncle happy. Like you just like and, and we get it. It's well intended. And, and so if you're not married, if you're if you're this gen and you're younger and you you have aspirations to be married, just know there will be a conversation one day and you will be wrong. <laughs> Fellas, you will be wrong and just accept that and that you're gonna have to give up some things. In order to make it work. And you're going to have to accommodate. Well, okay, we might, can't do that, but we should do this. So I want us to start thinking critically today about our traditions. The things that we do that we kind of put on the schedule or are put on the schedule for us to remind us that it's Christmas. And I think that we should think critically about them. And what I don't mean to, to give it criticism like they're entirely wrong. I mean to be think critically about them. Ask questions, honest questions. And, and to go like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that tradition, it sounded good when we started doing it, but I don't think we should do that anymore. Or, or maybe that tradition has outlived its lifespan, and we need a new tradition here. I had to do that in my family. Uh, we've had some death in my family over the last couple of years. And it has caused us to go, well, we probably, 
we need to reevaluate how we do things now and where we spend time. And because life changes, nothing is static, everything's fluid. And because life can be so fluid, we have to be critical of the way we spend our time and our resources. And all the way, you only have so many opportunities with your kids to make it matter, to make it worthwhile. I miss, I miss the oohs and the ahs of the Christmas lights. I miss, the, I miss the ooze and the awe from the car seat because I don't have that anymore. I've got teenagers, and now they're just like, how long does this have to last? And so I'm telling you, we need to be critical of these things because the ooze and the ahs of our children will devolve into the disdain of teenagers. And you'll know that, and if you've got teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of the magic has just been sucked out of the holidays by the puberty. So you know this to be true. So we should think critically. And are we alone by thinking critically? And I would say, no, you're not alone. And I would say there is some really good benchmarks by which to ask questions. A matter of fact, Jesus himself was very critical of traditions. And when I say critical, he, he wanted to know, the, like, do you really understand why you do these things? Because Jesus helped some people in Scripture, and I'll show you. He helped them understand that sometimes traditions can do two things if we're not careful. For as good as they are, for as valid as they once were, for as much integrity as they may seem to have, traditions can do two things. They can, well, they can misdirect our attention and they can cause us to miss an opportunity. After all, uh, we don't have a time crisis. We have an attention crisis in our society. Where did my attention go? Where should I put my attention? That's the whole debate about social media. Where should my attention be? If you've ever taught school, you know you're battling for attention. If you're speaking to any person. We're tr- so what do we do with our attention, our focus? And Jesus had a conversation once with some religious people, some church people, And he challenged them, I think you've put your attention in the wrong place. And I believe it's the tradition that caused it. To give you a little bit of a backstory about this, in in Mark's gospel, uh, you'll see it in Matthew as well. But but Mark helped us to understand the life, the lessons and the teaching of Jesus and who he was and what he did and the story, the birth, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But he also records a lot of conversation. And in Mark chapter 7, we, we get into a conversation Jesus has. So he goes, uh, he goes to town, and he carries his boys with him, his disciples. He's got an entourage, about 12 guys that walk around with him everywhere. They're devoted to him. They're following his teaching. And so when they go to town, the religious leaders, let's call them the Pharisees, because that was the name given to them um, of a rabbinical tradition that came um, out of the Maccabean era. And so, but they were Jesus' number one critic, And they were offering criticism, not critical thoughts. And so they saw Jesus one time, and they criticized his followers. Not critical of their own thinking, but criticism of the followers. And Jesus says, I don't think that's right. Matter of fact, Mark knew that people like you and I would not be Jewish people, and we'd be trying to get caught up to speed about this exchange. So in Mark chapter 7, starting uh, about verse 3, he gives us a little bit of some background. And so I invite you to read this with me. In Mark chapter 7, verse 3, uh, he tells us the Jews, especially the Pharisees, 
You see, they do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as a requirement, that's a word, with the ancient traditions. Now, Mark is, wants us to understand he's not saying that this was the law of God, this was a man-made tradition. Now, where, well, where does that come from? Did they just make it up? Well, they didn't just pull it out of thin air. About, I'm going to say 1,400 years previous to this, we could debate it, but about 1,400 years before this conversation, uh, the, the Israelites were wandering in the desert, and they needed a way to connect with God, and, and, and so God gave them a tabernacle, and God gave them some rules. And you can read these rules that he gave them about how to worship and how specifically the priest would be able to go into the tabernacle to offer a sacrifice. Out of that commandment of God about, well, this, before you do that, you have to, priests would have to wash their hands uh, with a, a double-sided labor. And, and so it was God gave them. But, but what happened over the 1,400 years is that the religious people said, okay, everybody has to do this. If you're going to connect with God, you've got to follow all the rules. It's about the rules. It's about the rules. And you go like, well, hold up. Is washing your hands such a bad idea? And I would go, no. Not all traditions come from a bad place. Uh, Post-COVID, all of us would go like, hey, I think uh, washing your hands and that kind of stuff. Like, uh, you know, I think there's some merit to that. Uh, last night, my wife and I went to a, a buffet. We were eating seafood. Um, and I went to the restroom, and then I realized I watched three people walk out, and they didn't, they didn't wash their hands. And so I started thinking, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I'm in the restaurant with these people, and, and, and we're eating out of the same trough. You know, I'm like, so I'm starting to think. I'm like, it's not a terrible idea to wash your hands. Like, it's like... Please do that, right? We're the buffet, people. Right? Wash your hands. Like, I'm not telling you God to put a glove on, but, do, you know, take care. So, so I'm like, this is not a bad idea. And, and you would read this, and you would say, the Jews wash their hands, and that's tradition. And you go, that doesn't sound terrible, and it's not. But just ho hold this thought for one second, because um, it says in verse 4, he goes on to talk about what they did similarly they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. They, they, you go to the grocery store, you wash your hands. Basically what they're saying. Not a terrible idea. This is but one of the many traditions. Saying, okay, we're just going to pull this out. Look at this as a part of an example to understand how sometimes traditions can cause our attention to be diverted to lesser things. They have clung. Now, now Mark chooses a word here in the Greek that seems like they are clinging to the rules more than they're clinging to God. Uh, they're clinging to the how to do church versus God himself. And, and maybe at times you felt that way. Maybe you come from a church tradition where, like, I didn't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> like, everyone else did, and I guess they get Jesus more than I do because I don't know the hand. I don't know where to do the jazz fingers, and I don't know. Like, and you're like, I don't really know like, how to do the church. And so, therefore, like, maybe I just don't get God and so Jesus says they're clinging to these traditions, not law of God. Traditions, right? Now, to go further in this, such as the ceremony, basically they did the dishes, okay? Not a bad idea. They did the dishes. And you're like, okay, what possibly could Jesus find wrong with washing your hands and doing the dishes? Some of you guys are going, all right, this is my chance right here to tell her I don't have to wash the dishes. And that's not the point. Jesus says at this point, because Jesus, he has, here's, here's the exchange. So Mark gives us a little bit of a background. Because here's the criticism. It, the Pharisees at this point in verse 5, make a, they make a, an observation. Um, the Pharisees and the teachers, why don't your boys, your disciples, 
wash, why don't they follow our age-old tradition? What is that? They eat without washing their hands, basically. Hey, uh, Jesus, I notice your guys don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus goes, mm-hmm. And? And, and, and so they're making the point. They're making an observation. And so let's read into this in verse 6. Uh, when they, when they challenge this, Jesus calls them hypocrites. You know, well, wait a minute. How could Jesus call someone a hypocrite for just saying, hey, why don't you wash your hands? That sounds like a great idea. Because this, isn't it true of you, me, and any other person who's ever breathed that Jesus can see right through our stuff? That what we position as the argument is really not the argument. That what we try to position as like, well, they don't do church right, but we do. And Jesus is like, you're a hypocrite. Now, now why is he, Jesus is not refuting this hand washing thing. He sees through it because this is a spiritual matter. So he calls him a hypocrite and he points it. He's like, matter of fact, matter of fact, you want to talk about these age old traditions, well, you know, there was a prophet a long time ago, and he wrote some stuff, and you've always thought it was about someone other than you. But congratulations, today you are him. Well, what did the prophet write? Well, he wrote about such people, and today you are him. Isaiah actually said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus says sometimes a tradition can take your attention and re-divert it somewhere else. Away from God onto the rules. And the tradition has caused you to miss the point. And now you're that kind of person. And he continues on in these next two verses, uh, 7 and 8. Their worship is a farce. Basically, you, you do all the things, you say all the right things, but your worship is fake. And, and you, you want to point out someone else's, like, your worship is fake because you're worshiping the tradition and not me. See, traditions can be born out of a really, really good idea, and we could miss the mark. The, the Pharisees missed the main point because of the little point. And at this, Jesus says, for you ignore, like, the, you, the, here's the problem. They are man-made ideas, and you've exchanged them for commands of God. And any time we take the words of humans and put them on par with the words of God, we will be wrong. We will be wrong. That if we ever think my ideas trump God's ideas. And Jesus said, here's the problem. You've taken your ideas and you've placed them over God. And now you're judging people by your standard and not what God's standard is. And so Jesus says, but that's the problem. You've substituted God's law for your own tradition. Now, Jesus is critical here of this. Now, we must ask ourselves the question. That's interesting. But what do I do with that? Well, I think that it should cause us to ask ourselves the question, is there anything that I do with my time, talent, services, life, influence, that that takes attention and takes it off of God and puts it squarely on humans? Is there anything that I'm doing that's causing me to miss the mark because I I, I keep moving attention away from God to something else? Could, could 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 I be... Helping other people by my expectations calls them to miss out on the main thing. 
I think this is where we should be critical of how we spend our time, and our, especially around the holidays. Are we doing stuff just because they said we're supposed to do it? Am I doing these things just because, well, that's the way we always done it? And, and, well, this way my mama did it. Well, but what about your family? What are you going to do now? Well, I, well, that's the way my daddy did it. Well, maybe you should decide for your own family to make sure that our, that our family is focused on Jesus and we just don't put things on the calendar and do certain things around the holidays just because that's the way we always did it. And so Jesus challenges them. Hey, you're looking at all the things, and I'm right here in front of you. Now, now there's hope in this, because I don't want you to hear only the criticism, because there's hope in this passage. Because have you ever felt, I mean, I've felt this at times, where I didn't know how to do church just right, and so therefore maybe I was like, well, I don't even know. They're pointing at Jesus, because the Pharisees are not seeking Jesus uh, they're, they're not seeking true wisdom. They're seeking to find fault in his disciples. And I can hear Jesus saying with this, oh, you, you criticizing him because he didn't wash his hands? Hey, he belongs to me. You let me worry about him. Uh, you, oh, you got a problem with her? She's mine. Don't worry about her. She's mine. The hope that we see in this is that because of our relationship with Jesus, Jesus silences our critics and says, don't worry. Keep your eyes on your own paper. She's mine. If she don't wash her hands, that, that's between me and her. That's a ceremonial thing. She don't have to do that anymore because we're in a right relationship. Stop putting these rules on her. And the hope that we see in this is that we find Jesus and we find what truly matters, all of those legalism rules. Jesus says, I, I got you. I don't know what to do with my hands. I got you. You're mine. But they're going to point at my past and what I'm not getting right. And Jesus says, I got you. You're mine. And I will speak for you. I will silence your critics. And that's the beautiful thing here is when we find Jesus, put our attention on him and him only, Jesus becomes the answer. And it's the greatest silence to our critics. And so I would tell you that, that sometimes our misguided or mis, you know, misdirected attention from our traditions can cause us to miss the main point. The second way I said is that sometimes we can miss... The main idea is because, well, we miss an opportunity. Now, the holidays can be stressful, right, because there's things to do. But how many of you have people come to eat at your house at Christmas or on the holidays? Anybody got, got family coming over and like that? Are you going to eat at someone's house? Right? Okay, so everybody else here is going to Bojangles. That's great. So here's the thing. Like, the, the eating at people's houses is like a thing, right? Now, now imagine that people's coming to your house. Now, I learned this because I've been married for a little bit. Um, and, and so I've been married since 2004. So about 18 years now, I've been figuring this out. And I think I've got the formula right. I think I got it. So for every time someone comes to your house for one day, you clean for eight days. <laughs> am, I, am I close? Ladies, am I close? Cheyenne, am I close on the math? Okay, so for every hour someone's at your house, you clean for 1.7 hours, right? Or something. I, I don't know what the math is exactly, but like there's so much to do to get ready. Now that's when people come to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Imagine if Jesus himself was there. Now that's a whole other level, and that happened. Matter of fact, in Scripture, it happened a lot. For three years, Jesus had no home had no table of his own. He ate at someone's table for three years by their invitation. 
Now, now imagine Jesus is coming to your house. Now, that's a whole lot of cleaning, right? That's a whole lot of men get the throw pillows on the bed. I still don't, are we giving tours of the house? Like when people are here, like they're going to come through our bedroom and the throw pillows are there. Like, I don't even know how this works, but like all the things, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying that the things have got to be in order, right? And there's some of us going, oh, yeah, so like I got to get my house in order. And then how many of you know you've got that sibling or that someone in the family who only shows up when the blessing's been said? Mm-hmm. They know, they, I don't know, they know when the food's ready because you ain't seen them all day. And someone says, let's say grace, and all of a sudden they just kind of come right in the door. They got their fork in their hand, ready to roll. And where you been? Oh, I just, you know, time to eat, right? And we, we know that stre- there's just some people, there, there are some people who are stressed about the holidays and everyone else is called husband. And, and so, like, there's this thing that happens, right? Now, imagine Jesus comes to your house. And I say that because we understand the dynamic and personalities. But obviously, there's a dynamic in everyone's home. Even Jesus' closest friends. And I say closest friends because we know, statedly, in Scripture, these three siblings were Jesus' closest friends, some of his closest friends. Um, you, you might know this trio, Lazarus. Mary and Martha, they lived in Bethany. It's just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. It's about a mile or so on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. So when Jesus came to town, to Jerusalem, he stayed at their house. It was kind of his getaway, and it was a safe spot so he could sleep at night, and the Pharisees and the Romans wouldn't kill him. And so he was there at their house, and you might know of Lazarus. He's the same Lazarus that died, and Jesus brought him back to life. Um, but there's Martha, who, and you might know this story, um, she's, we think, the older sister. We don't know that, but we think she's the older sister, or at least the more responsible one. And she's the one who's trying to get it all right, get all the things ready because Jesus is here. And there's the other sister. This is the Mary. And the Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet while everyone else is getting all the food ready. And that's so stressful because there's things we want to do and there's people who won't help. But what if our traditions, or at least the getting ready for the traditions and doing all the things causes us to miss the people in our own home? Like what if going out there and doing all the things causes us to overlook the people in our own home? Uh, this week we tried to prep some of our staff. We talked pointedly about the holidays are busy, especially in church life. And I share these words in ministry, and men in the room, those who have been with me on certain retreats, you've heard me say this, and I say it again for myself because I need to hear this daily, but no amount of success in the world can make up for failure at home. I'm going to say it again. No amount of success in the world can make up for failure at home. Sometimes the things that we're trying to accomplish cause us to miss the people who are seated in our home, at our table. And we just look over them, we'll look past them. And so we must ask ourselves the question, like, maybe I should be critical of that. Now, now Jesus, he, he says in Luke chapter 10 about this, he says, Martha, Martha. Like, here's the conversation. Martha's upset, she's worried about all the things. Uh, we'll skip to the next scripture. Um, in, in Luke 10... There's a a conversation, and so Martha's running about doing all the things. Uh, Go to Luke 10. Thank you. The Lord, Jesus, answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Now, I know what it's like when my mom used to call my name, especially put my middle name in there. You know, like, hey, time out, time out. I I know, I, I get this. And Jesus says to her, 
I, I know that you're worried and you're bothered about so many things. And they're good things. They're, they're great. Jesus and his people, they got to eat. It's not a terrible idea to have food ready. But, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, and that won't be taken from her. Now, sometimes traditions in all the busy of the holidays, we should remind ourselves, does this cause me to overlook the people in my home? Is this just something else to do, and, and then I'm, I'm shortchanging the people that I love the most? And so I would say at times we've got to be very critical of what we do in all of our time because, you know, people are your greatest resource, and the people that God has given to you and your family and your circles of influence, you can't overlook them at the expense of doing the right thing. We all know what it's like to get lost in the details, right? And imagine Jesus getting lost in the details. But isn't that our story too? That in all the details, Jesus gets lost in the details of doing all the things. And isn't that we get to Christmas, we're like, man, we've done all these things, but it just feels like something's missing. Could it be that we've overlooked Jesus, who is very there, present in the room? So that is what I challenge you to do today for the rest of this time that we have to worship. Uh, we're, we're going to give ourselves the permission to not be worried about what comes next. We're going to give ourselves permission to not worry about where i got to go today. And just, just for now, I would invite you to be like Mary. I would invite you to choose the better portion. I would, I would encourage you to choose that which, when, when, you, when you get a hold of the Lord says, that's yours, I'm not going to take this from you, this is the good stuff. Now, I would encourage you to be so brave as to ask honest questions of yourself. Have I done anything or do I have things on my calendar that's going to divert my attention away from Jesus? And cause me to miss him and the people who I say I love the most. The people right in my home. And I want to challenge you. To, you may have to have some conversations today. Uh, this may take some courageous conversations that you're going to have to really take a look at your, at your calendar. And I encourage you to do at least three things. And, and so what do we do with this? And, and we're going to respond uh, with at least these three things today. And number one, just take inventory. Take an honest look. Take an inventory. Take an inventory of what it is you're doing, where you're going for the holidays and for the Christmas season, and go, hey, hey, real, real quick, time out. Does this point us to Jesus? And does this help other people find Jesus? Or is it just busy? And then after you've taken inventory, we'll take control. Manage what you can manage, and that's what is in front of you, your time, your calendar, because if you don't take control of your calendar, it will control you. And what you refuse to take control of will always control you. So take inventory and take control of the things in your life and the things that you have going on. And like, hey, we need, we need to get a, we, hey, fam, we need to get a handle on some stuff. And have the conversations. You may need to take away some things. Maybe it's time you got to say, you know what, I, I, you know what, you're right. We, we need to just circle the wagons and take some stuff off of our plate and I would encourage you, it, it, this might be the, the most liberating and free Christmas season you've ever experienced. If you're brave enough to do this, 
to take inventory, take control, and to take some things off your calendar so that you can keep your eyes on Jesus and keep your family in front of you. I, I know that my family, we did this in, for Thanksgiving. We got away. My wife says, I think we should do something different this year. Okay, what's that? She's like, let's, let's just get the four of us, me and her and the two kids. Let's, let's go ride roller coasters, go to Carowinds. I'm like, all right, never been to Carowinds the day before Thanksgiving, but let's do it. And we did. Probably the best memory of this year so far. Because it was just us. We said no to some things. We went and we just rode roller coasters and ate all the food. And then we came home and went to grandma's for Thanksgiving. It was intentional and deliberate and meaningful. Now that's us. That may not be for you, but I encourage you take an inventory, take control. And find Jesus this season. Do less so that you can see and find more. But that's for you to do. Now let me speak into this last thing as we continue to worship. I want to encourage you to help people find Jesus this season. And maybe you're like, man, I'm I'm looking for Jesus. Well, here's the cool thing. The Lord is in the room. The Lord is here at the table. And today you can just sit at his feet and choose the better portion. And it will never be taken from you. The gift of eternal life that comes through the resurrected Jesus Christ, through the gift of what he does for us through faith, will not be taken from you. I encourage you to find that today by just maybe you want to come and have a conversation. We've got people at the Connect Corner ready to have that conversation. I want to encourage you to come and take communion and to remind yourself of what we are about You might want to take a step of baptism today and and proclaim to the world and maybe give your family the greatest Christmas gift they've ever gotten is where you're going to spend eternity. But not just about eternity, where you spend your life. Father God, I ask you to move in us in a way that only you can, in a way that only you see fit, that the Holy Spirit would move in such a way that we would find the true meaning of Christmas, that nothing would divert our attention, our, our, our gaze, or our hearts away from you. Let our worship be genuine. Let our worship be truth and be laden with an earnest desire for your relationship. Father, we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory in the church that amen. Let us continue to worship.